Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Walmart. Today's Thursday, January 7th. Fences outside the Capitol are up, President Trump's Facebook posting privileges are down, and we're focused on what drove yesterday's insurrection and what comes next. By now, you obviously know what happened at the Capitol complex yesterday, and you've also heard the condemnations by pundits and politicians, including some who helped egg on the rioters in the first place. But you might not have heard how so much of yesterday was not only predictable, but explicitly planned via online message boards and social media sites where the MAGA movement gets the most conspiratorial. Or how those same online communities today aren't celebrating their actions, nor apologizing for them. Instead, they're blaming what happened on others entirely, thus creating yet another new conspiracy. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Ben Collins, who covers online extremism for NBC News, and Arusha Gordon, an attorney for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law. But first, this. We're joined now by Ben Collins, who covers online extremism for NBC News. So, Ben, in monitoring the chatter over the last couple of weeks, or at least since the January 6th date was announced, did you sense this was going to be something more than just people coming to listen to Trump and then, you know, waving signs and screaming a bit? Yeah, this is the most organized rally since Charlottesville, at least. Actually, probably more so than Charlottesville. For the last month on forums like the Donald, which is a big online Trump forum, 4chan, 8kun, all the big extremist forums, they circled January 6th on their calendar. And they said, that's the day that Donald Trump is going to cross the Rubicon, which is a Julius Caesar reference to basically kickstarting civil war, declaring a dictatorship. So they thought that if they showed up there and they showed their support for him, they would provide a private army for the president. They said this explicitly on these forums. They said, meet up at these places. I'm personally going to be here. All these other people are going to be here. Our groups are going to be here. Here's where to get supplies. Here's what to expect. This was very strategically organized. It's a little surprising that people didn't take this seriously, considering this wasn't idle threats. These were real people who were putting their real identities to this, saying this online, January 6th was the day, and then it happened. I wonder about that. I mean, I'd assume law enforcement, uh, whether it be Capitol Police or others, monitor these far-right forums as much as you do. Yeah, I would hope so. But this was not the same sort of uh, response like to the ones that we saw over the summer for other protests. It just it just wasn't. I don't know what happened. I don't know from the law enforcement side why they didn't take this as seriously as the other ones. But I can tell you that this was weeks of planning from some of the most well-known people on the pro-Trump far-right extremist internet. And people were flying in. There were flights full of people flying into this protest, saying they were ready for the revolution, that they were going to storm the Capitol. And then they stormed the Capitol. Ben, how much of the anger from these people, the sentiment that led them to Washington and then to storm the Capitol, is the idea that the election was stolen from them as opposed to kind of all the other stuff that feeds into that? Uh, you know, it's, it's a combination. You know, the, the election was stolen thing was the call to action, but they, they planted the seeds for years that the government was illegitimate in various different forms. You know, the Boogaloo movement, some of those people were there. Those people don't believe that this government is legitimate for various different reasons. QAnon people who really led the charge there yesterday, those are the people that pushed back the Capitol Police once they were inside the Capitol. Those people believe that the government is run by satanic child-eating cannibals. So, of course, they don't believe <laughs> that this is a legitimate government. Of course, they're going to go in there and get violent and try to overthrow it. So this was, you know, the idea that Donald Trump 
was no longer going to be there to stand up for what they believed, that was the last straw for them. And they used this, you know, election is rigged stuff as a way to pin all their hopes to one last valiant effort. When it comes to QAnon, just to be clear, it's child molesting cannibals, right? Oh, both. They think that QAnon people believe that the blood of children provides some sort of magical powers and Hillary Clinton and people like that are drinking it for that power. Okay, moving on. How big is the QAnon movement? It's hard to really express in in terms of like real, like diehard, I'm a Q follower sort of things. You know, we're talking in the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, but people who believe in the tendrils of this, you know, part of QAnon recruitment is to get people to believe in basic parts of it, to believe in the cabal, to believe that there is this worldly order where, you know, they're all trafficking children and stuff. The people who believe that is definitely in the millions at this point. And, you know, the polling that's been done on this is it's a substantial part of the GOP base at this point. We don't have raw numbers. It's hard to get people to admit it in a lot of cases because it's deeply and hugely embarrassing to believe in something this stupid. But a lot of people do because they have been inundated with this by recruitment patterns on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram over the last year, not from traditional places, not just from pro-Trump forums, but from wellness spaces and religious groups on Facebook. It's an enormous problem in this country. This is an extremist group that has taken over various different portions of the populace. And we haven't taken it seriously because it sounds so stupid, but it's real. Ben, in the aftermath of yesterday, what are you seeing on these same forums? I know there's been at least some talk that these weren't really MAGA people. This was Antifa. Yeah, first of all, that's not true. Uh, It wasn't Antifa. We know the people who stormed the Capitol. Like we've seen them over and over at these Trump rallies throughout the years. You know, there was a guy on the dais of the Senate who's known as the QAnon shaman. He goes to Trump rallies uh, dressed with like a pelt on. These people took credit and then afterwards tried to blame Antifa. It's wild. Some of the same people who are in Nancy Pelosi's office are blaming Antifa today. There's just no proof of that. There is a debunked article that said some of these people are Antifa. They weren't. Those were known actors who fought against Antifa. Does that suggest, though, that there's a sentiment that, wait, this wasn't a good thing to do? Because, like, if you were proud of it, you wouldn't be blaming somebody else for it. If you're looking for a shred of hope here, I think they realized today that this was way over the line and that optically this looks terrible for their movement. So they are backing off it. And, you know, some of the Congress people who were egging these people on for a long time, Matt Gates, sort of led that charge that he said, like, oh, it was Antifa all along. Mo Brooks put a tweet storm up about that this morning. Yeah, exactly. It is maybe hopeful to believe that they think now that this was, you know, this was an enormous mistake. They are going to try to issue blame onto people like fictitious figures that don't exist to make it look like somebody else put them up to this. But they did this. This was there is a paper trail that is like uncountably long. We knew it for a month and it'll all come out like it'll come out in the arrest reports. From your perspective, how important is Trump's actual personal presence on social media important to this movement? And I guess I ask in the context, obviously, you know, Twitter suspended him for a while last night. Facebook's announced that he's suspended basically indefinitely from its platforms. He apparently did maybe create a parlor account today, although I don't think he started posting on it yet. In other words, does he need to be on social media for this kind of movement to flourish? I don't know at this point if he needs to, but the reason it exists is because of Donald Trump. Look, I think we found out over the last day that a lot of his governing and his ability to reach people was exclusively his own through Twitter. And now that is shut off. That's effectively gone. And he did egg this on. He said that January 6th was going to be wild and for everybody to come, all of his supporters to come. 
And then at, you know, at the rally, he said, let's, you know, go march to the Capitol. I'll be there. Of course, he didn't go, but he said, go march in the Capitol. This was a Donald Trump fueled phenomenon. He incited this. And, you know, while there are other people who are saying much louder things and more specific things about storming the Capitol, he was the one who gave them the idea to do it on this day. Ben, final question for you. Uh, you tweeted out the following a little while ago. Uh, you said, at some point this week, we're going to have to talk about how we get out of this mess. It's going to take empathy, compassionate engagement with people in your life who fell down a rabbit hole, and a crackdown on people who push fear and lies for profit. Can you unpack that a little bit? How do we start getting out of this mess? The hard part will be talking to our friends and family who are deep down this rabbit hole. Everybody knows somebody at this point who thinks some truly ludicrous thing and you don't want to engage with them because you think that they'll get out to the other side eventually. And they might, but it's time to bring them home. It's not their fault. They were afraid the pandemic is happening. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they lost their family members. And I don't blame them for being afraid and looking for really quick and easy answers. We can blame the people who are selling those answers for you know trying to sell pills on the internet, trying to get people to donate to their Patreon, trying to get people to donate to their campaign. Those are the people we can blame and we can talk about that later. But right now, it's time to actually go back to people and, on Facebook and their friends and their family and who are hearing stuff at, you know, at the dinner table and say, hey, actually, you know, enough's enough. It's time to come home. We love you. But we got to live in reality together from now on. Thank you to Ben Collins, whose reporting you can all read on NBCNews.com. Welcome back. One of the most important things to remember about yesterday is that it's not the first time there's been right-wing conspiracy-fueled violence in Trump's America. To dig into that deeper, we wanted to speak with Arusha Gordon, an attorney with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law, and she's also the lead attorney on its lawsuit against the Proud Boys on behalf of the Metropolitan AME Church in Washington, D.C. What exactly are you suing the Proud Boys for? We filed a lawsuit on Monday against the Proud Boys for violence they perpetrated the previous time they were in D.C. on December 12th to, again, protest the election results. The night of December 12th, they rampaged through the city. And as part of a pattern of other violent attacks, they destroyed a BLM sign belonging to our client, who is a historic black church. And so we brought suit in D.C. Superior Court on Monday. There are criminal charges related to the same kind of violent vandalism. And actually, right after we filed our civil suit, Enrique Tario, who is the chairman of the Proud Boys, was arrested by D.C. When you look at what happened yesterday, there were only a handful, a dozen or so arrests yesterday. Do you expect that there is going to be a, a large list of charges that come from what we saw at the Capitol? Yeah, I think there are any number of potential legal claims, both on the criminal side as well as the civil side, that can and hopefully will be brought against those who participated in yesterday's rampage. On the civil side, there are um, laws that protect people in these types of situations. So there's something called the KKK Act, which is Section 1985, which addresses conspiracies to violate civil rights. So that's, for instance, something that might be at issue here. Who would bring that suit? People who were physically inside the Capitol yesterday? Yeah, that could be one potential person or, or type of person who could bring a suit such as that. Just based on what you know uh, of the Proud Boys, but other groups similar to them, are you surprised by what we saw yesterday? Not the convening for kind of the rally, but what came after? Absolutely not. Following these groups, there was no surprise that January 6th was going to see this type of violence. Proud Boy members were sharing their itineraries, their airplane bookings. It was very 
well organized. And so it was not a surprise at all. Is the work you're doing is the ultimate goal to establish the Proud Boys and other groups like that as domestic terrorist groups? I think the end game is really to send a message to deter others thinking of engaging in this type of violence. Previously, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law, as well as other civil rights groups, sued neo-Nazi Andrew Anglin, who has fallen out. He's not quite as prominent as he was. And that's in part because due to our lawsuits and other lawsuits against him, he's really had to go into hiding. And so what we saw yesterday is that Enrique Tario, the chairman of the Proud Boys, couldn't be at the protests himself because he was barred from D.C. on Tuesday by a D.C. judge. And so these lawsuits really, you know, aim to undermine these groups, hopefully so that they are prevented from participating in this type of action in the future. Final question for you. I just want to go back to something a little earlier. You said it was no surprise to you what happened yesterday. It did seem to surprise the Capitol Police. Why do you think that they seemed so unprepared? And even in the statement they finally released today, which took, what, 18 hours to release, they talk about how they were prepared for a First Amendment protest, nothing beyond that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. I think There is sadly a history in our country of just not taking white supremacist groups and far right groups seriously. Last year, the Department of Homeland Security issued a report that found that white supremacists present the gravest terror threat to the United States. And yet we continually see that those groups just don't seem to be taken seriously by law enforcement. And that's something I've seen a pattern of, whether it was Charlottesville in 2017 or yesterday. Arusha Gordon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national Tempora Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.